Thanks a lot. You guys can be seated. Hey, if you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And, um, you know, I think it can be incredibly difficult to identify yourself publicly as a Christian in a society that is increasingly telling you to keep those views private. In fact, as our, as our age grows more and more secular, I think we see Christians being characterized as being weak or ignorant, even bigoted. And oftentimes when a Christian publicly uh, identifies themselves as a person of faith, they can, that can be met with ridicule and hostility. And what that does for people of faith is it causes us to kind of recoil, to, to want to insulate ourselves from ever having that experience again. In fact, some of us even have, um, because of our like fear of facing ridicule or hostility or ostracization, whatever happens, we, we've constructed even a philosophy that, that helps us become insulated or even a theology in some cases that allows us to keep our distance from the people around us. You know, last week we started a new series that we're calling Devoted, and this is just a collection of messages about what it means to be devoted to God, and we said that devotion is a fusion of heart and commitment, that either one in and of itself is insufficient that true devotion involves our hearts and compassion and also involves our acts and our commitments. And nowhere is that more evident than what we talked about last week, the one who's devoted to us. And we, and we launched with this one truth, that God is and always has been wholeheartedly devoted to you. And we didn't just look at Jesus' life or his death on the cross, we, we trace it all the way back to the oranges of man, that in the creation account, every person, gender, creed, ethnicity, skin color, economic situation, nation you're born into, we are all, we've all been given the, the dignity of being stamped with the image of God, that God is wholeheartedly devoted to you. And I don't know about you, but that sparks something in me. In fact, it, it does more than that. It, it demands something of me. That in spite of my fear, in spite of resistance that I might face, there's this one truth that I want to spring off of today, and it is this, that a Christian can and should be devoted to sharing the gospel. A Christian can and should be devoted to sharing the gospel. You see, God wholeheartedly devoted to you also translates to all the other yous that are sitting in this room with you today. And all the other yous that are in this valley and the yous that are beyond this valley. God is wholeheartedly devoted to us, human beings. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his son. That world includes you, certainly, and others. And because of that, we're, Paul says that we're called to live a life of love just as Christ loved us. And Jesus told his closest followers, take these words, take this thought into the world and tell them. Tell them about 
the good news. Because the most natural response to receiving the good news is to want to share the good news. Because when we respond to the gospel, we're made whole again. Something comes alive in us that wasn't alive without God's Spirit. And when I say gospel, I'm not just talking about this sin transaction that happens. When we step into faith, you know, there's like a ledger in our minds. It's like all the stuff I did wrong, and then Jesus paid for all of it, and now I'm good. It's much bigger than that. Jesus said that his purpose was to bring life in all its fullness. And if the good news is that not just that Christ died for our sins, but that he came to transform us so that we could become people that experience the complete fullness of life, life the way it is meant to be, how could we withhold that from others around us? In uh, your New Testament, it starts off with books that you may be familiar with, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then right after that is a book called Acts, and Acts is uh, a book about the early church. And some of the things that they did and the way Christianity spread. And one of its most prolific topics is to trace the, the travels of a man who was formerly known as Saul. And he becomes Paul. And he's miraculously converted. And then he sets about to share the gospel around the world. And he goes on trips in the, through the known world. And on his second trip, he stops in Corinth. And Corinth is a city of, at that time, maybe 100,000. It's right on the, it's, it's, it's on the water, and a, a, a road of commerce that was critical goes right through the middle of the city. And Paul stops there, and he shares the gospel. And in Acts 18, we have Luke, the author of Acts what he records about that stop in Acts 18.5, he says that Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now, this is Paul's typical strategy to go into a community and start in the synagogue uh, and start a religious dialogue about Christ, the Messiah. He began with the people that were looking for the Messiah, and then he would always expand from that toward people that had no religious traditions. And I want to look at this idea of Paul and his devotion to spreading the gospel. But before we do that, I want us to look at what are some perspectives that we might hold about sharing our faith with others. And this is going to be up on the screen, but it's also in your notes. So there's three perspectives I want to highlight. First of all, uh, you might be here today and say that, well, my faith is private. That's how I feel about my faith. My faith is in a box. And it's not something that I talk about. It's for me. And you might have people that are unreligious, religious, Christian, not Christian, all kinds of versions of whatever. But it doesn't matter because you, you just don't talk about those things. Your faith is private. Another perspective would be that your faith is secluded. That is, you, you do talk about your faith, but it's within the confines of Christianity. Your friends are all Christians, are virtually all Christians. And when you discuss faith, you, you discuss that with 
people of like faith. But your, your conversations are secluded. You don't, you don't have people in your life that don't have faith or have different kinds of faith. Your faith is rarely challenged by someone who doesn't agree with you. And you probably have little or no close friends that are, Christ, that, that are not Christians. In fact, some of you even have like a more refined approach to that. They're not just Christians in your box. There's Christians of a certain kind, right? And then the third perspective is um, you have a public faith. Your faith is public, which means that you don't really have borders. You have, you have people that are of like-minded faith and people that have different religions or no religion. And your intent is to look for ways to integrate your faith into your life with people of faith and people that don't have faith. And you have a humble and loving uh, way of approaching people about that. But your faith, in the end, is public. Now, with those three descriptions, and, and, and I know that it could be nuances, but try and, and be as honest as you possibly can about this with yourself. Put an X by the one that most describes you right now, your current situation. Are you, is your faith private? Is it secluded or is it public? Now, now, don't, if you haven't done it yet, like don't put an X next to what you think your conviction is about that. Like try to be honest about your current situation. And now, once you've done that, then put a circle around the perspective that you think is most, is, is, best describes God's intention for a believer today. For many of us, that was like an uncomfortable exercise. And I, I didn't mean to make you feel uncomfortable. Actually, I did. But I can't even say I feel bad about it. Because I think we need to honestly assess where we are. What I, what I want to do today is recognize the difficulty there is in living out a public faith. So whether your, your faith is private, secluded, or even public faith, I hope that what we talk about today will either help you deconstruct some of the stuff that you've built around yourself or like help you be even better at being public with your faith. You know, often when I face difficult things, I go, I go to the Bible for guidance and inspiration, and that's, that's what I want to do today this verse I'm going to refer back to from Acts, Acts 18.5. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. This word in, in the NIV version, devoted, uh, is the perfect word for the fusion of heart and commitment. Because literally devoted here means to be gripped by. To be gripped by. If you have a King James Bible, it says Paul was pressed in the spirit. And the idea here is that the gospel got a hold of him, and it was pinning him down like in wrestling. And it would not let him go. He was gripped by the gospel. Now, we've all been gripped by someone or something at some time in our lives, right? What comes to mind for me is that most cerebral movie uh, scene from Napoleon Dynamite. I think that it has many spiritual lessons in it. 
And one of which, if you're a fan, um, you can remember that when Uncle Rico was going to raise money by selling Tupperware. And as, as part of his gig to uh, sell that Tupperware, he created a little, like a little thing that went with it. If you bought this Tupperware set, you got this gift, and it was like a, a ship in a bottle. I don't know if anybody remember this. Anybody tracking with me? Some Napoleon Dynamite fans? Okay. And um, when he was you know, doing his sales pitch to this couple, uh, the wife leans over to the husband, and she says, I want that. That's what it's like to be gripped by the gospel. It's like you want it. It possesses you. And Paul, in this sense, was gripped by the gospel. You know, admittedly, Paul's like a superstar at this whole business of sharing the gospel, right? So it's kind of like not fair for us to compare ourselves. But I think what's, what's most important to see about Paul is that he was gripped by the gospel. And this is what drives him. In spite of the fact that he's, he's like super intelligent and educated and obviously gifted and very committed and, you know, uh, you know like articulate, beyond most of us in this room. But the main thing that drove Paul was that he was gripped by the gospel. And that's true of us, that we'll be devoted to sharing the gospel only when we're first gripped by the gospel. That's true of all of us. That's why Paul wrote back to this same church in 1 Corinthians 15.1, I want to remind you of the gospel. You remember last Sunday, if you were here, we talked about how that, um, our, our understanding of God's love kind of has the same effect as uh, olfactory adaptation. That is, like, once we're around it long enough, we, we don't sense it anymore. We just kind of get used to it. That's why Paul says, I want to remind you. I don't want you to ever forget the fact that Jesus came, not just to die for your sins, but he came to bring you a way of living that allows you to live life to the fullest. That's why he said in Galatians 2.5, that he, he wanted the truth of the gospel to remain in them. It's not like it would drain out of you, but the reminder of it, the essence of it, it seems the longer we're Christians, the less impact God's love has on us. And it really should be the opposite. In fact, the gospel should be a powerful influence on us. So that it affects the way we live entirely. In Philippians 1.27, Paul said, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is in me, it remains in me, and it goes with me wherever I go. It affects me. See, to be gripped by the gospel is to allow the gospel to shape who we are, to conduct ourselves in a way worthy of the gospel. Shaped by the gospel is actually a, a title to a book that I've read by Tim Keller. If you're looking for a book recommendation, Shaped by the Gospel, 
is a wonderful book to read. It's, it's primarily focused on church leaders, church leadership, but it's a great book about how what God has done for us, the good news, should shape who we are. But the problem is, at least for me, maybe not for you, is that we allow other things to grip us, like politics and sports and what the latest celebrity has said in the gossip or our hobbies. And when those things grip us, they have a bigger shaping effect on us than the gospel does. But the opposite should be true. The gospel should affect our worldview, and too often, our gospel, and I put that in capitals in my notes because we all have our gospel. For many of us, it's, it's really easy to allow other things to shape our gospel. And when that happens, we get a corrupted version of what living life really looks like. And other things drive us more than becoming like Jesus. And the most extreme, what can happen is, if we're allowing other things to shape us instead of the gospel, our worldviews can actually be in direct conflict to the gospel that Jesus preached. As Christian people, and I'm afraid that this happens far too often to us. Now, I want to tell you right now, of, like, if I couldn't list all my weaknesses, but here's a few. Um, one is, I'm not an economist, so I can't figure out what, the economy, what should be happening in the economy. I'm not a uh, national security expert, so I can't say whether... Um, we need to build a wall or we don't need to build a wall. I don't really know. It's just not my area. It's not even a decision that, I, that anyone's asking me about, so I don't even have to worry about it. I'm not a healthcare expert, so I, I can't honestly say whether, you know, what the best answer is in this country for healthcare. And you know what? I'm not a sociologist. I don't, I don't know what the answer is in terms of Education, education in the inner city, the tension between uh, races and the things that are being said. I, I can't even tell you what the answers are for, you, for the USA. But what, what I can say is that our worldview, our perspective of these things should be shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Well, you can applaud. Some of you are grinding your teeth off. Now, let, let me just say, I'm not taking a position here. I don't know if you caught how like, well I did that, but I'm walking a thin line here. I'm not saying one way or the other. What I'm saying is I don't know the answers, but one answer I know is that if you're a Christian, the gospel of Jesus Christ should be shaping your worldview more than what you watch on TV or listen in your podcast. It should be the gospel. Simone, Simone. Thank you, Michael. I feel you, man. In addition, the gospel should shape our passions. 
But the truth is, we're much more likely to have this week shared our passions about politics, sports, and all these other important issues that are going on. We're much more important to express an interest in that or our opinion on it than we have to have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody. That's a problem. In fact, I would just encourage you like, to just kind of go through your little card file in your brain right now of the things that you've put out on social media, conversations around the water cooler or wherever you're allowed to have them, and think about the things you talked about. And I'll bet you, like, it's true of me. I've talked about a lot of these issues. But have we talked about what God has done? And, and, and our opinions on these matters, have they been shaped by what God did? Because, like, one of the things that's happened, it probably goes back, like, people much smarter than I, say, around the 1950s in America, where we, Christians started isolating themselves. In fact, there's a term that I put in my notes. I know I'm not smart enough to have thought it up, so I got it from somewhere else. But now I think it's mine, Christian isolationism. Like we have just isolated ourselves from engagement in the world today. And some of us have constructed theologies or philosophies that allow us to do that, to say that the Christian community should, should break away, that we should be, you know, like find our own place. And, and, you know, the most we do is like jump out of a rabbit hole and share, you know, drop a gospel bomb and, and, and then scurry back to our hole. Um. And we've built a theology out of that. But let me ask you this question. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm just trying to make you think, okay? How in the world could we, could we build a theology based on the teachings of Jesus or the Apostle Paul that leads us to become isolated from the world when you, when you look at the lives that they lived? It is impossible And it should be repented of. We will never be devoted to sharing the gospel until it grips us. And when it grips us, it will shape us. Now, if, if that's your heart, what I'm about to tell you, I think, will help you. It will guide you. It will inspire you and direct you. And if, and if it's not quite your heart, or maybe, maybe you want to be a person who is devoted to sharing the gospel. But man, it's like you've seen so many bad patterns to that. Maybe it's been inflicted upon you. I think what I'm going to share from this little passage, this little part of Paul's life, I think it will help you. I hope that it does. That's my intent. In Acts 18.4, the verse before that we've already read, Luke says that every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And in this little two verses, I think that there are some things that we could learn about how to share the gospel, about why we should share the gospel, and about how we can share the gospel in a way in keeping with the gospel. And I ask you to consider these thoughts, okay? First one, consider an intelligent approach is better than a confrontational one. Consider that an intelligent approach 
is better than a confrontational one. The intelligent approach is very typical of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 18.4, Luke writes that every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue. That is, he entered into a place of dialogue, and he had conversation with them about Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And you know, the truth is, we cannot expect people to embrace a gospel just by like, I told you the truth, now I'm done, I'm moving on. It doesn't work for anybody. And it certainly isn't effective to ridicule them. People have questions. People need to know the whys. And that's why connecting with people in dialogue that's intelligent is much better. And I, I think somehow this gets corrupted. We have misconceptions about what it means to share the gospel. Some of those misconceptions come from a misreading of the Bible. I ask you to consider, like, you know, like this, this tell it like it is, in your face, um, you know, I'm right, you're not. Uh, that's a misreading of the Bible. Now, you might disagree with me. There's times to take a stand. Don't think that I'm going all soft. You guys know me. But we have to enter into conversation with people. And if you, if you do a careful reading of your Bible, either Jesus or Paul, you will find that they most often took an intelligent dialogue approach with people. And the hard passages, the hard things I'm telling you like it is, were reserved for the religious people. For those of us who name the name of Christ, that's, who's, that's who got their, their, their hide stand by Jesus and Paul. In fact, that's what uh, drives Paul to say this in Romans 2.4, Have you forgotten that it's kindness that leads to repentance? Another thing that I think like, leads us down the wrong road. It's kind of like the moldy methods of the past. There's the misreading of the Bible, and then there's the moldy methods. It's like we've become so wedded, wedded to, like, old methods. I've been trained in every evangelism, you know, uh, class there is. You know, I've, I've been to evangelism, explosion, you know, like the four spiritual laws. I've done all of that. And, you know, the truth is, like, cultures change. And I think sometimes we get so married to a certain way of sharing the gospel that any other way of sharing it is not the gospel to us. But we're really arguing over the method. And I think that that undermines our ability to dialogue in the culture that we're in. You know, uh, when I first became a Christian, they used to drop me off in a neighborhood. I was in 10th grade. They dropped me off in a neighborhood, and I went knocking on doors, and they'd answer the door, and I'd say, hey, if you died today, would you go to heaven? That's a great way to get into people's hearts, isn't it? It's like, and, you know, I've told you guys before, I mean, I was a full-on stoner, long hair, roach clip, with resins on the roach clip, and I'm there talking to him about Jesus. I wasn't that sanctified in the beginning. I'm not this, I wasn't this altogether that I am now. And then, you know, they would take us to the airport, and we would witness there. And like I was the first Hare Krishna walking around, you know, only I was spreading Jesus, not Hari or whatever is in that. And I would walk up to people and say, hey, where are you headed? 
Dallas? No, I mean your final destination. Like I had all these, I thought that went up all on my own, by the way. It's like, I'm not doing that anymore. It's a different time. Sometimes we get married to the method. And then other times it's just our flesh, right? Isn't it? I mean, sometimes it just feels really good to zing somebody with a Bible verse or like get above them and condescend to them and really blast them about their lifestyle or their ridiculous position. And um, it's essentially I'm right and you're not. Do you know that rarely are people ever condescended into believing the gospel? When... um, the past few years, we've been running in the L.A. Marathon. I think I've shared this story with you before. It's like you finish at the finish line. And some of us have finished in other places, but we won't talk about that. And, but if you make it to the finish line, um, you know, there's the World Vision tent. We're all partying. You get to go down the red carpet. But like always, like the past two years, there's like these guys over there with the bullhorns and the signs, you know, turn or burn. And it's like, and they're just yelling into the thing. And it's like, I just want to go over there and go, dude, nobody is listening to you. You're being ridiculous. It's like, that's not the gospel. You know, when we take an intelligent approach and we enter into dialogue, you know what we, you know what we end up doing? Listening. And listening helps communication, by the way. And... And then when we listen and we have dialogue, you know, we get to know somebody. And then we can answer the questions that they actually have. And we find out we have all these things in common. Paul did that just a chapter before this one. He goes into Athens. He goes to the place, the Areopagus, where people discuss these matters. And he says, hey, I notice you have an inscription here that says, you know, you believe in the unknown God. I believe in God, too. Let me tell you guys how I think it's Jesus Christ is really the God that you're looking for. And he has this dialogue with them, an ongoing dialogue. Hopefully, all of us can remember, if we, if we came to faith in our adult years, we can remember when we had questions, when we didn't believe. And one of the things that we constantly hear uh, from folks that have come to Sunridge and have... Uh, you know, receive the gospel is that they really appreciate that dialogue approach, the capacity to enter into a conversation. In fact, at the end of this service, I want to let you know that our, if you want prayer, you're going to go over here, but I'm going to stand right over here after the service, and if you have any questions about God, my message, what I'm saying about uh, presenting the gospel, you can challenge me, you can, you can come over and like have me sign your Bible, whatever you want me to do, <laughs> I'll be right there. Answering questions. I'll be there for 10 or 15 minutes. Please stop by. If, even if I've made you mad, come on over. I would love to enter into a dialogue with you. Okay. Consider number two that, uh, and i got to hurry here. It's a, pro- a process approach is better than a pressurized one. A process approach is better than a pressurized one because people need time to think. They need to be able to ask questions. And embracing the gospel for most people is a total life transformation which doesn't happen in an elevator speech. In Acts 18.4, notice again, Luke says that, that Paul, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews 
and the Greeks. He, he, he did try to persuade them, but don't misread persuade as pressure. You know, when you go to buy a car, you meet a car, car salesperson out on the lot, and their job is to persuade you that you should buy this car. How many of you appreciate the high-pressure sales tactic? Now, if you're a car salesman, I don't mean to offend you, but I want you to listen here, okay? <laughs> because you have questions. You want to know about the car. And that car salesperson, it's like pressuring you to sell, to buy from the very beginning. It's off-putting, isn't it? And, you know, I have to say, I've had some great experiences in, in this town with great salespeople. And I'm willing, if you're a car salesperson, I'm willing to buy a car from you in the future, especially if you listen to me and give me a good deal. I'm in. Nobody wants to be pressured. In fact, that makes you kind of dig your heels in, doesn't it? You know, the medieval church had a high-pressure persuasion method. It was called torture. And there's no doubt they made a lot of converts with it. But I don't think that it was the gospel. And, don't, and, and then also notice that Paul was there every Sabbath. That's a long-term investment. You know, someone once told me that truth and time don't run on the same rails. You know, you think because that truth and time are parallel. I told you the truth and now you should get it. That's not even in true, true in your marriage. Right? When you're talking about, like, who should clean the dishes, it's like, of course there's the truth that you believe about it, and then there's time. And eventually those come together. It's like, for, for some, people are just on a different place on those rails, and they need time to process. I hope that we're become, more and more we are becoming a church that allows people time to process. We talk here about everybody's welcome because nobody's perfect and anything can happen. Anything's possible. Uh, we talk about um, that you should be able to belong before you believe. These are things that they're not compromises. They are the way people process faith. And we're committed to those as values. People would rather process than be pressured. Last thing. A good living example is better than an excellently spoken one. Consider this in sharing the gospel. A good, a good living example is better than an excellently spoken one. Here's one thing I commonly hear from people when we talk about like sharing the gospel. It's like, I don't know what to say. I, I'm not smart enough. Well, find hope in the words of St. Francis of Assisi from the very, very early church where he said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Right? Of course, sometimes, you know, we need to say words. But honestly, that example of living out the gospel, I promise you, will give you ample opportunity to talk about the gospel. But it means you have to be with people. In Acts 18.11, just a little later here, Luke tells us that Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. He didn't just like whip in, drop some gospel bombs, and go on to the next city. He didn't have seven suits and seven sermons. He stayed with them. And that was very typical of Paul in uh, 
in First Thessalonians 2.8. He says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. And the, the plain truth of the matter is, people need to see the gospel on human beings. Jesus was God incarnate, the Bible tells us. That is, he was God con carne. He was God with flesh. And we, much of our understanding of who God is comes from the life of Jesus because it's a person living out who God is. It's the same today. People need a living example of the gospel. That's why I'm so thrilled about what we're doing with clean water in Africa. I love it that we're doing the Kids for Clean Water. We have families now that can join us in this effort to, to like, you know, in communities in Africa, World Vision is there. In our efforts, put them there and put clean water and, and health habits and the understanding of personal hygiene because we run and we raise money. But when they're there, that just that simple act allows them the opportunity to bring the gospel. I love what Bob is doing. Bob, in a prison. How many years have you been doing that? Six years, this guy's been walking over to the Southwest, Southwest Detention Center. And, you know, people aren't talking about how awesome Bob's sermons are. They do that for mine, but not Bob's sermon. <laughs> the letters he gets are an appreciation for him showing up. And he's been doing it for six years. And that's why there's fruit. People need a living example. What I love about those and some of the other outreach efforts that we're doing is we realize that people are not projects. That we bring hope and we live love. And when people see that, they see Jesus. And Lord willing, God gives us an opportunity to talk about that hope. So often I hear from people who say, I was in this group, I came to this church because, and the thing that resonated with me was, and they tell me a story about a person or a group of people or a family who are living out the gospel, a living example is far better than the most excellently spoken example. You know, I got my first surfboard when I turned 50. And if you've been at Sunrise for a while, I, you know I love surfing. I'm not that good, but my first surfboard, I got at age 50. And you know, like, I lived in Huntington Beach before that in my younger years for almost 11 years, and I never surfed. I lived in Surf City. I didn't surf. That's really sad. There's a lot of regrets in that. And when I look back on, like, the opportunities that I missed out on, maybe you have some of those. I mean, you ever have, like, like that discussion that later... You look back and you go, oh, man, I wish I would have said this. It's like, I was there. I had the opportunity. And like, usually it's in an argument. I think of like really good zingers afterwards. But when you're, when, you're, when, you know, when you're sensitized to an opportunity, it makes you say, this really matters. So I got to bring it my all. 
I got to be good. That sales presentation that you have this week, you know that you're going to, that a lot depends on that. I went to Yosemite uh, this, just a couple months ago for the very first time, and I knew I'd have about eight to ten hours to crush Yosemite Valley. And we were on the, on the gas to see the things that we really need to see because you know why? We knew we had an opportunity, and we didn't know if we'd ever get back to Yosemite. Do you know what? When we get to heaven, we will not have the opportunity to share the gospel. That book will be closed. That's why it's so important for every Christian, for every church, to be devoted to sharing the gospel. Let's pray.